dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. St. Paul the Apostle was an incredible leader in his own right. Before dying, he left his legacy in writing both to St. Timothy and to St. Titus. In this second part of my series on his first letter to St. Timothy, we see Paul express the importance of leadership and the specific Christian contribution to leadership for everyone in the world. As Paul encourages St. Timothy, so also he encourages us today. Thanks everyone for being with me again and I'm glad to have this chance to be able to expound on such an awesome theme as the first letter of St. Timothy chapter 2. And I, I, the reason I say it's awesome is because I think a lot of us today, we put leadership into a bit of a corner and we put our faith into a kind of a box and we act like, well, if you're a Christian, then it's good for you to be a Christian leader. And I suppose that that's a personal type of thing. Leadership exists to make people do things and Christianity exists to make people believe in God. And the two really don't mix. And a lot of times, even good Catholic people themselves, they don't see how they mix. They say, you know, I, I mean, like, I don't really get it. I don't get why having faith should make any impact on my leadership. And also, they don't really understand why their leadership actually, what that has to do with their faith. And so we end up with all kinds of great Christian people who are baptized, who are supposedly sent into the world in order to save it in the name of Jesus Christ, but who don't really understand how. And because we don't understand how, we keep the two worlds kind of separated. And we don't allow our faith to really penetrate what we do every day as we organize activities to get things done. And we don't really allow the organization of getting things done to impact and go back and benefit, benefit our faith. But what if we could? What if we could bring faith to leadership and leadership to faith? What if we could bring faith to work and work to faith? Well, I mean, I think a lot, I'm mesmerized by the possibility of what that would do, but I think a lot of people aren't. I think when I usually say that, a lot of you right now say to yourselves, well, no, that's kind of like, it's almost interfering in an unseemly way with the wonderful separation between the two. You almost would hurt faith if you brought work into it and efficiency into it, and you would almost hurt work and the bonds that are between human beings by bringing faith into it. So people, because of that, they don't see how to overcome that or bring the two to each other. They end up you know, holding it back. And by separating the two, honestly, I think you hurt the two even more. I think that business needs faith. And I think that faith needs business. And here's what I mean. If you take a look, take a look at it, how does business need faith? Well, on the one hand, the workers themselves, that is you and me, who are doing the work every single day, making this world turn and, and go around and having the economy be generated and having ideas be solved. Those workers themselves, 
are benefited by faith. Agreed that work in itself is not a faith type of thing. It has its own laws, its own realism to it. But the act of doing that work depends upon a worker who, being touched by God and living in faith, does his work in a way that's different. I mean, and if you haven't seen that, I, I, I don't really know what to tell you because when you go to places where people don't quit and where people don't tell lies and where people have integrity and they come to work on time and they treat the things of the workplace as if they were their own, I mean, you notice that difference right away. Well, that's the effect and part of the Christian influence. I know it's not just Christianity, but Christianity em emphasizes those type of values. The acceptance, the sensitivity, the compassion, the humanity, the correct valuation of pricing, the limitations on workers' hours, the fact that everyone deserves a decent wage, child protection uh, in the workplace from child labor laws, the, the building up of, of, a, of a mentality that says our workers are people this is something that the Catholic Church has emphasized for the past 140 years. With the rise of industrialization, there came an entire teaching in Catholicism called Catholic Social Teaching. And that Catholic Social Teaching has always shaped the workplace to become a human endeavor. Business needs that or else business will become, in the end, a tool for corruption and for domination. That correction that's provided by Christianity also augments the activity so that business itself becomes an occasion for all humanity to come together to do excellent things, where virtues actually have a place and an impact in how things are done. It's uh, both in correction and enhancement. Business needs the impact of the gospel. And it's brought to this place of work through the workers who can bring all of the genius of the faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and, the, and, the, and God made man to bear into their various specter, spectrums of work from finance and banking to, to housing and real estate to construction and, and manufacturing. There is, in fact, a Christian vision for that work, and it comes from the Christians themselves who, inspired by faith, bring that vision and, and transform the working process through it into a better, more humane, more transcendently valuable operation. In the same way, you could look at faith and say, how can faith be benefited by business? Well, I mean, obviously, on the one hand, you have the, the, the way that work purifies uh, the, the human being by engaging that human being in struggles that are hard. Remember, the whole Christian idea is that you by yourself, everyone, are fallen people. <laughs> Believe it or not, the person next to you right now is actually a fallen creature. Well, and, th and that means that we need that corrective influence of challenge to overcome our innate selfishness. So we who are believers find that challenge in the workplace. We have to invent new things. We have to find new ways around things. We have to collaborate with people we'd rather not collaborate with. We have to stay just and true and create systems and processes that enable people to establish good work-life balances and so forth. Well, that, that is a wonderful corrective influence by business. Business brings to faith the ability to express faith efficiently and repeatedly 
and sustainably and to allow people to engage in faith-based operations in a way that allows them to flourish as people and sustain themselves in a practical way. This is essential, as we know, because if you can't meet your basic needs while you're professing your faith and doing your faith, well, in the end, your faith is going to get edged out by the practicalities of life. Well, business can come to help at that level. Finally, I see business as coming because it enables those who work to be like St. Paul will tell Timothy here in the second chapter of his first epistle, people whose leadership and contribution benefits the whole world regardless of their faith. Whenever we help anyone by feeding them cl good, clean, healthy food, by building buildings that don't fall down, by, by healing the sick in hospitals, regardless of their faith or our faith, we are doing God's work. And how many great Christian people do I know who don't have that vision? Putting their faith in a box, they see their work as something that they do for money or they do it for survival. They don't do it as if it was God's own gift to them and God's own gift to the world through them. But this needs to change. The Word of God invites you to look at your lives very differently. And invite you to look at your lives creatively as the blessings that they are through the physical worldly things that you transform every day in your work. You are more than a cog in the machine. You're an instrument in the hands of God. This is Father Nathan. I know that there are many ways to learn leadership, and that there's many great methods out there that are even put forth by Catholics. But here at the St. John Leadership Institute, we actually have a unique way of forming leaders. It's called Audeo. That's Latin for I dare. At our campus in Denver, Catholics can learn an authentically Catholic way to become a leader. Check us out on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. All right, let's go ahead and focus in then on 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as always, when we're opening the Word of God, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, and as you inspired this infallible word, so inspire our hearts with the fire to know it and to love you the better through it. Thank you for this gift of work and thank you for this gift of faith. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First Timothy chapter 2. He begins, he says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now this, first of all, that he puts in verse 1 here is really interesting. Because it doesn't just mean first in terms of a numeric list. It also means most importantly. And in Greek, what he says when he says, I urge you, he's actually speaking back to what he just wrote about in chapter 1, verse 18, when he speaks about a charge. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Right? What's the charge? Then he says, this is the charge. He uses the same word in Greek that he says for the charge that he's entrusting to Timothy, he then says, I am now charging you, right? So they, they translated it as I urge. 
but it's the same word. It's almost like I give you now this charge. And what's the very first thing he begins with? That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people and especially for kings and for all those who are in places of superiority. Now remember, at the time of Timothy, all those kings and people in high places were those who were not Christians. In fact, they were pagans. And here St. Paul's saying, I want you to pray for all of them. You almost say, well, gosh, that seems odd. Why would we pray for those who don't even know Christ and in many places are causing difficulties for the church? And St. Paul counters that the reason we pray for them is so that all of us might live a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul is recognizing here that leadership has a value for the entire world independent of faith. Now you could go from that leadership and you could say business has a, a value for this world. And Paul is getting behind the business leaders, the, the, the political leaders, those who are in positions of power to say that our world needs them. Regardless of their faith life, regardless of what they're doing for or against the church, they actually are providing a service that is an action that belongs to God. To rule is a godly function. To govern is a godly resemblance because the ruler and governor of all things is God who rules supreme over this whole world, ordering all things for their flourishing, ordering all things for their own perfection. And, and to do that, there are certain things that are prohibited and certain things that are encouraged. And there's a natural law that's engaged in all that exists that comes from God himself that allows for that flourishing. Our sin got in its way that we understand very well. And that's why the human being is then called by God to fight against the disorder in our world that is not only moral disorder, but also physical disorder in creation itself. And to wage that battle of salvation by restoring things to the order that will allow the harmony where each person and each thing receives what it needs to flourish well. It's an amazing vision. And I know I went really deep with you really fast, but I think you're ready for it, okay? Because with the word of God here is presenting an incredible vision for you. You who are teaching in public schools, you who are nursing in your different places in the world, you who are x-ray techs, you who are running soccer tournaments, refereeing, uh, basketball games, all the different things that people do every single day. A Christian vision of those things is to say all of that is done in order that people might live a peaceful and godly life dignified in every way. Like that's in other words, without those things, life would be harder, less dignified, and more in disorder. Now I get it. There's a lot of business that isn't that way. There's a lot of things that are done every day that actually encourage a disorder or that are anti-human. And I'm not saying everything that we do is good. In fact, there's a lot of things that promote and do things that are bad. Understood. I'm not referencing that because I think that that's actually an anti-leadership and an anti-work. I think when God made man and put him in the garden in order to till the ground and keep it, making it fruitful, 
He did it on purpose because our vocation was to engage with what we've been given in order to make it better. And there are those who go around and they slash things and they destroy things and they hurt children, our children's brains by false teachings. And there's all kinds of artists who create cultures that are terrible and anti-human. All of that, that's the anti-work blessing. But when God originally made us, he made you as someone capable of perfecting his garden of tilling the, the ground, of keeping it, of working symbolically through the ground and all the different domains that you do in order to bring this world to a perfection that is offered to God as a prayer. And so doing, you're combating those other agents that are out there and making this world worse. You're promoting and protecting the family. You're feeding children. You're purifying the water. You're helping and teaching the minds of many people you're keeping books in a library to speak about my friends, the librarians. There you are. Well, think about the value of the library and all that it does and the history it preserves and the literature and the, and the art and the stories and making that truth accessible to the general public. I mean, look at your lives from the point of view of heroes instead of from the point of view of cogs in the machine. Because the Christian vision, as St. Paul just says here, is that leaders and those who are in positions of authority are there in order to benefit every single person, regardless of their creed. And that leader is you. I mean, you're fixing broken down cars. You're attaching them to tow trucks. If you've ever been broken down, you just love the tow truck driver who shows up and attaches your car and saves you from that predicament. You, you, you love the people who put in sewer lines on your buildings because without a sewer line, the water backs right up. And, and you think to yourself, where would we be without our, our, our plumbers in the world, our electricians in the world? And so what the, the Christian, St. Paul is saying to Timothy is that he wants every one of those people who might look at themselves as not being important to instead realize the value that's in everything that they do for everyone around them. And we who are Christians need to support that vision, get behind that understanding that faith is in, lived out in service. And service is performed by our men and women who labor every day in every profession, regardless of where or what they earned thereby or what kind of degree they, they had to have in order to accomplish it. And with the moment that we realize that, we realize that in fact, all of us, by the gifts we have, we are those people in high positions that Paul is referencing here. Because every position, if it's done well and effectively, is in fact a position that is high, superior. In, Latin, in Greek, the Greek of St. Paul, it doesn't mean high positions in terms of like some sort of standard of elevation. It actually means people who are over people who are over others and anyone who makes an act of service becomes over those whom they serve no matter how humble that act and by doing that act the world is served by god through you this is father nathan i'd like to offer an invitation for all you listening between the ages of 22 and 40 to consider daring something great for christ this year Right now, the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado is recruiting for our new class. Come and live in Denver with a community of your peers. 
form your own business, earn a master's degree in any subject, learn what it takes to lead today. Check us out, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So St. Paul writes to St. Timothy. He writes to him about this need that all Christians, and this is like the thing that he wants St. Timothy to, to give. And the charge that he's giving is that Christians respect their leaders. Now, what, can, what do you do, though, when your leader is not a good one? When your king or your superior is, in fact, not worthy of your respect? Well, I think St. Paul, again, and he's saying this is the first of all most important thing that he wants Timothy to do. I think St. Paul would say, yes, individually, that person might be not doing well. But because of their position, they have an influence over many. And therefore, so that all of us could live well, you need to pray for their conversion. You need to pray that God bless them and help them because they've taken upon themselves that charge of leadership with all of its responsibility and with its heavy task. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're, you're thinking, okay, that's a wonderful thought, but then where does my faith come in more explicitly? And St. Paul will say, yes, the first point I want you to understand is that what you're doing has value in and of itself. And that that value is being God's instrument in the world to bring God's action into the world through your service. But that's not all. He then goes on to say, verse 4, that that service itself done in that spirit actually leads people towards the gift of faith. It's almost like recognizing that people first need to be fed. They need to be housed. They need to have the certain amenities of their life given to them in order so that then they can raise their minds to the deeper questions. And when their lives are tranquil, well-ordered, in place, it is easier to ponder the deeper questions that lead us to God. And this is why he says that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's almost like there's a journey we make, in other words. And when your life is full of chaos and there seems to be nothing sure, it's really hard to believe and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But when, in fact, you are well provided for, you understand that, that there's deeper things, it's easier for you to make a coherency between a stable life and a stable God rather than a chaotic, uncertain life and a stable God. It's easier to make the jump to believe in the God who gives order and gives stability when you've lived it yourself. I think about this and analogically with respect to people's minds today. We live in a culture where people don't even believe that truth is possible. They, you know, when you say what is truth, you hear there's fake news here and fake news there and this is so-and-so's truth and the position of newscasting, which people used to back in the day, looked to as a reference point that they could trust in terms of getting the truth has actually you know, transformed into people's opinions on the right and people's opinions on the left. And they, what they say is analysis on the news is nothing more than opinion. And you reduce truth to opinion. Even you come to the scientific mathematical truths of the world and people will then say it all depends on how you manipulate the statistics and, and how you manipulate the testing and things are presented in one way or another and it's made people despair of ever knowing anything with certitude. Well, when people despair of knowing anything with certitude, it becomes really hard for them to make that jump into the certitude of faith. 
What they say is, well, it's just someone else's opinion. That's your opinion. That's this person's opinion. And they don't allow themselves to say, well, since my mind is stable and I see how truth works, I see that the most fitting and wonderful enhancement to my mind comes from the most beautiful and profound truth, which is in the gospel. As they start with stability, they go to God's stability. But on the other hand, when that's all chaos and you think everything's an opinion, you'll either go to the gospel because you like the person who's preaching it to you, which is, of course, not the way to do it. Or you won't go to the gospel at all, simply saying, well, there's many opinions and I guess that one's good for you. Relativism ensues. And, and, and if we who are laboring for that proclamation of the gospel, we need to begin by healing the ability of our people to receive it. And I'm saying that that's exactly what St. Paul here is saying to Timothy. On the one hand, all things are good if you're doing them well. And all work that is done well and is good in and of itself is something that benefits people because it makes this world stable and allows them to then transpose themselves towards the stability of God with ease. It opens them to coming to the knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of Jesus. He says, you know, there's only one God. There's one mediator, period. Even if people think that there's many gods, there's only one. Even if people seek many mediators, there's only one, okay? The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So God bears witness to his own mercy by sending his son who glorifies the father by dying for us. What an amazing message. What's going to enable people to receive that message? And St. Paul's saying, when their lives here in a secular, worldly way open themselves naturally to that proclamation. But when your lives tell you that there is no truth and because our teaching is done poorly and that God doesn't love us because our sewer lines are backing up and our electricity doesn't work, it almost becomes impossible to make that jump. And so what is our role as leaders? Is to transform this world so that people living a peaceful and tranquil life can come to the knowledge of the Savior in the ways that God will, will do for them because the witness that Christian leaders have given of dedicating and sacrificing themselves for the betterment of this world and the spirit of Christ and the grace of God. Against the culture of death, be prepared to fight as a true leader of Christ by making the stances, saying the good things, and running businesses that truly glorify God. I don't know why else we would do it if it's not for that. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.